This is Trail Tales, a running podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean Soban and David Waters. We'll discuss everything to do about running. It doesn't matter if you're a new runner or an experienced racer. The stories and guests at Trail Tales ARP will keep you entertained. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild! Hello runners, thank you so much for joining us here on Trail Tales ARP for Season 3, Episode 19. Today's episode is brought to you by Sobon Copywriting, content creation for all of your digital, print, and platform needs. Be sure to visit leasoban.com for a full list of services. Also, don't forget to visit trailtalesarp.com. There you can find our entire catalog of shows for free. Run wild and enjoy the show. I just wanted to get to a quick listener email we got the other day from Simon Hayes. Simon, thank you so much for that email. It really made my day, and I know it made David's day as well. Um, Just knowing that we're connecting with our listeners and talking about stuff that's relatable to other runners is important, and it lets us know at least that we're doing something right here on the show. So Simon, thank you so very much for that email. We hope to uh, hear back from you again in the future. If anybody else wants to email us, simply email trailtalesarp at gmail.com. Simon, I've got one thing left to say. Run wild. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Trail Tales ARP, a running podcast. Today, I have a special guest with me. He's a friend, colleague, and Canadian ultra runner, Eric Covesi. Eric, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on as a guest. Thanks for having me. So how are you today? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Excited sure. to be here. Awesome. I'm excited to have you on. So, so Eric, obviously, this is a running podcast, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, why don't we start off real quick with letting the audience know, you know how long you've been running? Uh, probably since, uh, towards the end of my high school, I started doing uh, triathlons then and, um, pretty much ever since then I've been always preferred the running aspect of it. So it's been quite a few years now. Okay. So do you still compete in triathlons? Uh, not anymore. Again, uh, I kind of geared away from all the, the biking and the swimming just cause I, I enjoy the running the most. Okay. So you've transitioned now you're, now you're a runner and you're an yeah. ultra runner nonetheless. Yeah, I try. I try. <laughs> you, you try. So, um, how did you how did you get into ultra running? Uh, so it does go back kind of to um, to high school when me and my buddy we did our first little very mini triathlon together in high school. And after we finished that, he kind of looked at me and said, "You know, there's an event called Ironman. One day we should do an Ironman." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I'm in." And then back in 2016, me and him finally got together, we did Ironman, uh, we finished it. And after that point, I kind of knew that I'm always in the finisher category, you know, I'm never like, you know, aiming for podium finishes, anything like that. So I kind of finished that goal. Uh, I got on Google, started searching, Uh, I found the series called uh, Four Deserts or Racing the Planet, Uh, signed up for one of their races, which was uh, 250 kilometers 
uh, through the Gobi Desert in China. And about five minutes into that race, I actually fell in love with this and said, you know, this is what I want to be doing. Amazing. It didn't take you long to get hooked, I guess, eh? No, no. As soon as, like, you know, I got to that start line, I'm like, this is just amazing. You know, it's a huge adventure, and I just love everything about it. Awesome. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. So the Four Desert Series. <laughs> um, so you have completed four of those races to date? That's right, yeah. Okay, and they were all 250 kilometers within seven days, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So... Um, and these races are all self-supported. So first question is, I guess, um, are they all in China or which deserts have you run in? Uh, so they have their four main races. Uh, so one is uh, in the Gobi Desert. Uh, I finished that one. Uh, one is in the Atacama Desert in Chile. Um, and the another one is in the Namib Desert in Namibia. And every other year they do one in Antarctica because that is technically a desert as well. Uh, I haven't done that one. However, every year they have what they call a roving race. They have one in a different location around the world. And the one I did was in Argentina in the Patagonia region. Oh, wow. So those are some pretty hot climates then. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, Gobi got to the highest it got in Gobi was 54 degrees. So that was, that was quite hot and slow going. Oh, my goodness. That's, uh, that's crazy. For everybody who's uh, in the States, that's Celsius we're talking about. So I'm not sure how that, how that transitions into Fahrenheit, but it's hot. Yeah. It's, it's well above 100. I know that. Um, so what was it like running in heat like that? Like, there must have been some challenges for you. Yeah, like I said, it was very slow going. Um, it was nice because, well, it was nice in the sense that the hottest day was somewhat towards the end of the race that at that point you had already met a lot of your other competitors. So as you're going, you're going with a lot of people now that you've gone to know over the past five days and everyone's just there to help each other, support each other. So it was always nice just having such camaraderie and everyone just there to support each other to get through that heat. I'd say the, uh, the biggest downfall was uh, the only thing you didn't have to really carry on these races is every 10 kilometers, they would give you water. So as you're approaching the water station, you're like, okay, I can finally get some nice, cool water. And then as you get to the aid station, you realize, nope, nope, the water they're giving us has been sitting out in this heat and it's just as hot as the stuff you've been carrying. And that was always such a disappointment. Oh my goodness. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, so I've run one ultra. It was not an official race. It was just a 50 kilometer run that I wanted last year. And we kind of self-supported ourselves where we did a, 10 kilometer loop and every 10 kilometers we could stop at our cars and get nutrition or hydration what have you but self-supporting over 250 kilometers in seven days it's is much more complicated than what i did so can you take us through a little bit about the planning involved and um all the logistics behind that yeah so uh again the website and the organization is very good with you know giving you ideas and um you know, having you have your mandatory gear because they do have you make sure you have a minimum, I think it was 2,200 calories a day. Um, my first race, again, as I think a lot of people do, they really have no idea what to do when you're going in. And I over way, way overpack because you always have to think too that, you know, you may want to bring a lot of extra food, but then you're carrying all that extra food as well over the seven days. So the lighter the pack, the better. Um, so I would always have a mix of 
like freeze-dried meals at dinner half the time and then either just ramen noodles because those are great high calorie high salt everything you kind of want and then in the morning either again a freeze-dried meal or uh, oatmeal and then throughout the day just kind of snacks bars typical race stuff uh, typical electrolyte drinks and uh, things like that but again, try always trying my best to make uh, to make my pack as lightweight as possible didn't always work out but uh, I was always fairly well fed. I felt that was that was important. But by the end of the race, you were very, very excited to get a real meal and some real food in you. That's it was freeze dried. Yeah, I guess so. So, um, how long were your days when you were out there running? Uh, I would say most days. So you would do uh, four days. The first four days are in about a marathon a day, so about forty kilometers or so. Uh, most of those days would take you probably about eight hours. And then you would do the long march, which was your uh, 80K day. And that would be taking about 13 to 14 hours. And then you would be able to finish with a nice... Every every race I tell myself, it's only 10K. It's not going to be that hard. But the last day always seems like 10K is a long 10K to the finish line. Isn't that the way it goes, though? No matter what race, it's always that last part near the end that yeah it's, it's it's the longest and the worst yeah because you think oh oh it's nothing you know i just did 80k you know 10k is nothing but no no that 10k it always it always sneaks up on you it just never ends oh for sure so um running 40 kilometers a day versus 80 kilometers in a day i'm going to assume here that your your pace is going to be a little bit different based on the distances so i guess you want to conserve energy and try to run efficiently because this is like huge undertaking so what kind of uh like pacing strategies did you employ for yourself uh so by the time you get to the long day like i said you know you you meet such a great group of people in these races so you kind of do have a nice little group you can always kind of pace yourself with so that's that becomes a really big factor because you don't get like the nice pace bunnies you do in in marathons and road races so just by having that kind of same group of people that you know are in and about your speed so I find um, having at least one person with you, especially on the 80K day, is such a huge morale boost. And again, they can keep you on track, make sure you know, you're know you not pushing yourself too hard, but also making sure you're safe, you're eating, and doing all the things you should be doing as well. But uh, with 80K and long races, you do go through so many different highs and lows throughout the race. Like You could be feeling like absolute garbage at the 20K mark and then just have you'll be starting to feel great again at 60k so you can pick off again so i really think it is just more about just running on how you feel rather than just kind of maintaining one one certain speed gotcha so just kind of go with the flow yeah yeah and again with these alters you never know what kind of train you're going to be facing because obviously you could be going up mountains through sand dunes where there's no way you could be even at a jog so again a lot of it's terrain based as well Okay, and I'm, I'm I'm going to assume here that uh, there's no real like recon on these on these uh, courses. You're just kind of going based on what they tell you, and you've never run run it before. Uh, so yeah, you're just following following the pink flags. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so being a paramedic like myself, like, did you ever find when you were running, like, were you preoccupied with oh, what's going on with my kidneys or my blood pressure, my hydration levels? Were you kind of over preoccupied with that at all, or did you just kind of put your uh, paramedic hat away and just just run it is definitely something i always kept an eye on um but uh you always need to feel safe because there are doctors every 10 kilometers on these races as well which is nice so you can kind of 
let them worry about it. But it is definitely something I always keep in mind. For me, it was always kind of urination, like um, how frequent am I am I urinating at all? What color is my urine? Uh, only in uh, Namibia, I accidentally dropped some of my electrolyte tablets, and towards the end of the long day, I was starting to notice like I was getting some swelling, some nausea, like a lot of signs of the uh, hyponatremia, like low low salt. But uh, for the most part, I just try to keep focused on just okay, one foot in front of another. Let's just yeah. let's just keep going. That's it. Just stay in the moment. Yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah. try to enjoy the views. Yeah, if you can, yeah. right? When you're not yeah, suffering exactly. too much. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that is one of those things, though, that, that I guess uh, can happen quite easily in ultras if you're not paying attention to it. So you can get into trouble with the kidneys and stuff like that, right? If you're mm -hmm. dehydrated. I've heard, I've heard and read of runners going into failure and everything during these races. So it's a, it's a serious problem that you can, you can mitigate if you're prepared, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like they're, they're, uh, they're pretty safe with having help every 10 kilometers. You're not too far from yeah, getting yeah. aid, which is great. And um, even they have like a great set of volunteers too. Like my dad has actually volunteered on three out of the four that I've done and they train their volunteers again to, you know, as you get to a checkpoint, you know, to look the runners over and, you know, to make sure they seem still like mentally stable and they're not like falling over and things like that. Amazing. Um, speaking of your dad, um, <laughs> does he compete or has, is he a runner himself? Uh, so he was a runner in his earlier years. Uh, he always had the goal of uh, for he hit 40 that he wanted to run a sub four hour marathon. And he did do that just before he was 40. So as Amazing. I was running marathons, it was always my goal just to beat his time. And uh, <laughs> last year is the first year I finally did it. And, you know, it's always, it was always nice because he was always at every single, pretty much every single race I've ever done, cheering me on, you know, rooting for me to beat his time. So he was, it was a pretty nice moment for the both of us when I finally did cross the finish line, uh, beating his time. Oh, that's amazing. That must have been, as a father, a pretty proud moment for him to see yeah. his own son do that. Like, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, he's, he's always just been such a great uh, support for me, again, like either in local races or, like I said, he's been to three of the four desert races with me. Oh, that's pretty special, man. Um, so speaking of your dad being on the volunteer team and being there uh, to watch you and cheer you on and support you during these races, um, one of the questions I had was because this was self-supported, did you have um, a group of people with you beyond your dad, maybe that were there to. Uh, just the volunteers. Um, okay. Yeah. So you see the volunteers at the checkpoint and again, you get to know them. Uh, it's the same ones you get to see day after day. And they're again, such an amazing group of people, like such a great support system, always cheering you on. Um, and like I said to, um, so you camp in tents every night. And you're in the same tent with the same group of eight people. And they're from, they try to mix you up from people from different countries. And you become such good friends with all these people, even if some of them are front runners, some of them are back to back. Like the people in your tent become lifelong friends too. So just, you know, getting to see your tent mates at the end of a long day is such a special thing as well that they're there. Sounds like, uh, sounds like uh, an experience that is actually priceless. Yeah, it is. And then again, talk throwing about in the amazing experience that it is, but the people really do make it such a great experience. That's what it really is all about. And in, in any race that I've ever been at, just the energy there from the people, the crowd, the support from complete strangers mm -hmm. really is an uplifting experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Eric, that was your past. 
let's move on to the present and future goals right now. So you are currently trading for your first ever 100 miler. That, that's right. It's quite nervous. All right. So, so let's, let's get into that. Um, I guess the first question is where and when is this race happening? Uh, so it's in the Bromont Ski Hills, which is just east of uh, Montreal. So it's kind of okay. a nice local race. Uh, and it's uh, Thanksgiving weekend, so race will start on October the 10th. Okay. And when do you plan on finishing? October 15th? No, uh, no, no <laughs> October 11th. It's a 35-hour cutoff. 35-hour cutoff. Okay. Um, so um, how long has your training been taking place so far for this race? Um, I've been, you know, been good about tracking my Strava probably since just the uh, start of the year, but probably maybe a couple months before that, I've really kind of been stepping it up. You know, I did have many race plans for this year, but unfortunately due to uh, COVID, a lot of them got canceled, but I was very happy to find out that this one is uh, still a go since it's local. But I've been pretty much, you know, I train hard all, all the time, but uh, I've been really stepping it up the past couple of months. Okay. There's, there was a saying, um, that I heard a while back and it was to dig your well before you need it, before you get thirsty that way you're there. So it sounds like you kind of do that with your training because you're mm -hmm. always training hard and you're, you're putting up big mileages. So you always have a certain level of conditioning under your belt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, so, it's important too, because again, there's always so many races and I have so many race friends that are like, Oh, Eric, you know, I've heard of this race. So I look it up and like, wow, that looks awesome. So it's always nice just to always have that base level so you can, actually say you know yeah i'd be down for that <laughs> that's awesome because a lot of people they'll pre-plan their race schedule at the beginning of the year and they'll have it all plotted out but it sounds yeah. like you'll just be like oh yeah there's a race that's a couple weeks away i'm good to go yeah <laughs> if i can like again if it doesn't you know impact training too too much it's like so, you know it's always special when you can go run with friends and see friends that way of course of course it's it's a great experience um so eric um, as you know, like we're both fathers, we're both full-time paramedics. Mm -hmm. I find it difficult to find the time to train in terms of like length and volume. So I always try to keep my runs lately. They've been short, but of higher intensity. So I can kind of get the best bang for my buck. And when I ran that 50 K last year, you know, I started the year saying, I'm going to run 50 K this year. I don't know when, but I'm going to be prepared for it and train. And that all fell apart within two weeks because I just couldn't find the time to do it so i ended up running that thing untrained and it took six and a half hours and i was suffering near the end but i did it right so it was like check mark done you'd be proud awesome. of that six and a half hours great for 50k yeah you know what i don't know if i do it again untrained <laughs> yeah, yeah. it sounds like i might be doing it again this year but <laughs> we'll see but so since you kind of have the same circumstances as myself mm -hmm. um I think you touched on it a little bit there, but how, how are you working around all of those challenges and time demands um, and making your training work? Uh, so, so like you said, uh, I think shorter, more intense um, uh, sessions are important. And again, sometimes you just have to really buckle down as much as you don't want to be up at 3.30, 4 in the morning before a day shift, like that's when most of my best runs come in. And then I also use it as an excuse to be like, hey, it's a good chance to, you know, practice running with my headlamp kind of deal. But uh, a lot of sprint intervals, a lot of like uh, hill training is a good, good bang for your buck. And um, instead of like one long day, because again, I find that hard to get in, I try to just to kind of split it up. So I'll, I'll be up at 
you know, 3.34 in the morning for a morning workout, you know, take uh, a little kid to daycare and then uh, go to work, come home and do some cross training. I just recently got myself a rowing machine, so I've been enjoying that or any kind of like a CrossFit, something like that. Something like a lot of jumping, explosive activities, kind of, again, trying to find the best bang for your buck. But I did do try at least once a week to do get a long day in and I try to mix that with uh, hill training. So either heading over to Glen Eden to go up and down those ski hills or uh, Hamilton Stairs have been great for me as well for hill training. Uh, we recently rented a cottage and uh, my wife was quite nice. She picked one that was five minutes from Horseshoe. So uh, during nap time, as soon as my little guy Maverick went down for his nap, hopped in the car, drove over to a Horseshoe, went up and down those hills a bunch of times. So uh, things like that. I find hill training again is really good, you know, as far as time versus results. So. Yeah, I think that's going to come in uh, super handy too if you're with a hundred miler um, with inclines and stuff. You're going to be facing right. The hill training is pretty important. Yeah, it's and, a total uh, of uh, seven thousand meters elevation gain, so it's quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a lot of elevation. Yeah. Um, so beyond, you know, kind of time constraints, um, you know, it's pretty much if, if, you, if you really want to do it, you'll find a way, right, regardless yeah. of the situation. Yeah. Um, what other challenges um, have you faced kind of getting ready for this one? Uh, again, you know, when you start running, you think, oh, you know what, all I need, pair of shoes, be good to go. But as the more and more I keep going, I find the more – you know, it becomes more and more expensive to keep uh, up to date with all the gear I need, the gears, even the, the gels, gun tablets and things like that aren't the uh, cheapest. Uh, the um, a lot of the races, you know, even just the um, the fee to get to the race is not cheap. And then if I'm racing internationally, flight tickets, all that. So it becomes a balancing act of a lot of time of, okay, do I want to have a day off training or do I need to go to work and overtime kind of deal so the financial aspect of it has been a bit of a challenge for me as well uh just my overall energy level as well because again you know we go out to do a long day you come back and you're pretty much done for the day whereas as you know you know you want to play with your kids have fun time with them but you don't want to just be like nope daddy can't do anything right now so i find that's been a bit of a challenge too you know being able to have the energy you know spend quality time with the, the kid as well as still managing to get the long runs in. Yeah, so it sounds like you're making a sacrifice kind of in terms of, of sleep. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. yeah sleep is yeah. fairly non-existent, as yeah. unhealthy as that may be. Yeah. So, Eric, we're going to take a real quick break, and then we'll come back and have some more questions for you. Okay, perfect. Hey guys, I wanted to talk to you really quick about a recent running experience I had. Recently, as you know, we had Eric Boom on the show from Effortless Running. And after the show, I decided to go out and try his three steps that we discussed on the show, which were the lean, the pull, and the sweep. By employing those strategies as best I could on my run, I was surprised to note at the end on my Strava that I got a personal best for one kilometer at 3 minutes and 26 seconds, which is unheard of for me. And I got a personal best on the 800 meter as well. During the run, I didn't feel like I was working harder. I did feel like I was moving faster. And the best way for me to describe it is that I was just simply trying to keep up with my legs. I felt like they were moving ahead of me and the rest of me needed to keep up with them. Um, it, was a, it was a great run and it showed me that there is definitely something to being able to run more efficiently. Um, Effortless Running has a three-week program designed to help you run more effortlessly and adopt a better 
efficient running gait. The effortless running method is a revolutionary approach to running performance. Based on observations of thousands of runners, and it draws on insights gained from the best canyon runners. This unique method has helped countless runners break through their plateau and eliminate injury, even when they believe that they'd already tried everything. The truth is that your cardiovascular fitness is not your limiting factor, your form is. And when you apply the secrets of effortless running, you'll find yourself finally breaking through that plateau without training harder and longer. The best part is you'll see results in just three short weeks. I gotta tell you, after that first experience, I'm definitely excited to carry on with this training and see where it takes me. I also had another listener reach out and let me know that they tried the same thing just from listening to the show, not even doing the program. And they were able to PB on a 10K and run their first sub 60 minute 10K ever. So there's definitely something to this. Um, Trail Tales ARP has a unique link that you can click on to take you to Effortless Running and learn more about the program. Like I said, it's a three-week program. And now during the pandemic, what better time to change something in your training when there aren't really many races out there? You have that opportunity to get out there and try to play around with things and see if you can can improve yourself and I think this is a great way to do that. So visit the link you'll find in the show notes or go to trailtailsarp.com and click on the effortless running banner and you'll be taken to where you need to go. All right, everybody, we're back here with Canadian ultra runner, runner Eric Govesi, and we've been talking about his ultra running and his upcoming 100-mile race. Eric, can you just remind us again where that race is? Uh, it's in the Bromont Ski Hills, which is about just uh, 40 minutes east of Montreal. Okay, and that is in October, correct? It is, yeah. Awesome. So you had mentioned earlier just before the break that, you know, you think you're going to go for a run and all you need are your shoes and maybe some water and you're good to go. And, you know, there's a lot more planning involved with it. Um, in terms of shoes, um, what kind of shoes do you prefer to wear for your longer runs? Uh, it depends where I'm going. Like I got my, I do have like my pair of trail runners. Uh, they're Solomon trail runners. They've always been good to me. I find with trail runners, the big thing for me is durability because mm-hmm. nobody wants in the middle of a race to get a hole in them and then start getting all sorts of dirt and blisters and things like that. Uh, as far as for then my other run days, like I said, they're more short, shorter days, but higher intensity. Uh, I just got my first pair of uh, uh, ultra race or ultra uh, shoes. They're a little bit more cushiony and they're supposed to be helping kind of recover from longer days in my trail shoes okay uh do you know the the model type of the ultras that you got i think they're like the ultra plush from uh the torrents yes the torrent the torrent plush that's what they were yeah co-host uh dave david uh he runs in those and uh he just got he just replaced his original torrents and he put over i think uh, three thousand kilometers on them Wow, that's and they're amazing. and they're in really good shape still, but it was time to hang them up and get a new pair. So we ended up getting the ones with the plush. So yeah, yeah. And I think like, I was mentioned, mentioned to you before. Before I had these, I did have the, uh, the Nike Vaporfly, and my times were really good with those. I'm not sure again if that was actually from the two or just kind of mentally saying, you know, these shoes are supposed to make me go fast. But uh, those were definitely shoes that I think were meant for race day only. They didn't last. Like the durability on them was not great. But I think they're meant for race day only kind of racing. 
Yeah, I've actually heard that about those shoes and whether or not there's a placebo effect involved. If it makes you faster, why not? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're running ultras, Eric, and you're doing these big distances, um, do you pre-plan your nutrition in terms of when you're going to take in nutrition and water or do you just take it when you feel like you need it? I definitely do a plan. Like I definitely try every hour, try to be on the hour, uh, to eat something because for a couple of reasons that way it does keep your nutrition on track and as you're going along it does give you hopefully something to look forward to It'll be like okay you know 10 more minutes and then I get a snack kind of deal so, and that uh, keeps you on track and force you to drink at the same time and uh, kind of as we were discussing earlier though if I notice on the other signs of dehydration then I'll try to make a conscious effort to drink more as well. That makes a lot of sense. And you have like electrolyte tablets with you. Do you take those again at a, a predetermined time during your race? Uh, so what I normally bring on the race is just I try to have a variety of different things depending on how I'm gonna how I'm feeling and kind of what I'm craving. So as far as if I want something a little bit salty, then I'll I have beef jerky. That's kind of my go-to for that, just because I find a lot of the gels and goos and things like that are just very sweet, which is nice, but at some point you're like i can't take any more sweetness you know i want something different so i always try to have a nice different variety of different flavors of gels um if you take the nun um they're empty tubes i like going to the bulk barn fill those up just with some of my favorite candies to have something to look forward to or uh corn nuts are also great for something salty if you want something salty and then as far as drink mixes like i always try to plan out to know where the water stations are and always have one bottle of water at least and then one bottle of electrolyte uh, mixture because that way I, mean, I find too much of the electrolyte mixture and can just coat your stomach and you just want some water in there to help ease digestion a bit. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Follow-up question to that, what are your go-to candies you get from the bulk bar? Ooh, again, again, I like to have some variety, but always I like some sour candies. Uh, I find sour Skittles, they're great to kind of cram into a tube. So those are probably my, my favorite. Those and uh, Reese's Pieces, another great one that can easily transported. Yeah, they're nice bite size. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty good, buddy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that one in my back pocket and try yeah. that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Eric, in the past, because you've, you've got, I mean, you've been running for so long and you've got so much experience under your belt. Um, have you ever experienced a DNF? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had my fair share, unfortunately. But okay. I find uh, like every race you learn something. So, like, kind of on that fact, like, if you go back to some of my earlier earlier days of racing, uh, after me and my buddy did our first, like, mini triathlon in high school and we decided to do an Ironman, it was before the days of, like, you know, easy access to everything on the Internet. We didn't really know what we were doing. And they are like, well, we want to do an Ironman. So logical step seems to do a half Ironman first. We didn't know there was such a thing as like a sprint triathlon or a try a try. So we go into that uh, well, half Ironman. Me and him both show up with our bikes from Canadian Tire that cost maybe 80 bucks. And we had read somewhere that, you know, you wear a wetsuit during the swim. So we're both wearing our wetsuits that we use for scuba diving. Okay. So, yeah, we learned, you know, we had a lot of mistakes along the way. And uh, so every race you learn something with. But uh, my first, we always finish those races. My first DNF was actually in Bromont when I decided, you know, let's do the 80K. And I went in there, um, a lot of equipment mistakes. Uh, and the race started at 3.30 in the morning, so started in the dark. And my previous races in the desert, you know, when you're running at night, 
it's clear open skies with a beautiful moon, super bright stars. So it wasn't never super, super dark compared to running in a forested ski hill where you're very foggy and couldn't see anything. So my headlamp wasn't quite up to par. I took a lot of nasty falls right off the start, got a little bit lost, added an extra five kilometers onto my day. So I meet, I got, got to about, I think the 60K mark. I looked at my watch and I knew I wasn't going to make it come anywhere close to making time cut off there. So yeah, somebody else was dropping out and had a ride. So I was like, okay, you know, it sucks, but this is where I'm going to drop out. Uh, another race I had a DNF was uh, I did the, tried the Canadian death race, which is, I don't know, Alberta has 125 K in 24 hours. And that one, uh, I think I just went in a little bit too cocky. I, it was after my first four deserts race. And I think the brain has a good, good way of remembering the good times, not so much the bad times. So, you know, as looking back, I was like, you know what? I did great in Gobi. It was so much fun. Everything was great. You know, I don't need to train that hard. And then, yeah, I started racing that race. I'm like, I am totally unprepared for this. And it was also um, a big change for me going from a totally self-supported where you're carrying everything to where you have eight stations with food every 10 kilometers. So I was carrying a pack with enough food and drink for 24 hours. Everyone was kind of looking at me with their tiny little packs. I don't need to last that maybe two, three hours. So, but again, every race, you definitely learn something. You make mistakes and you, and you learn every race. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing is, you know, it's okay to make the mistakes and uh, you know, you're going to be learning from them and you're going to be getting better uh, each time you go out there. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. So um, with, with that being said, um, have you changed anything this time around in terms of your training or your preparation for your, for your hundred miler? Uh, a lot more hill training, a lot more just uh, training in general. I think I've been getting a lot more kilometers. Um, I've been getting hitting actual the hills a lot more often, which is nice. I think the cross training too will be helping as well because again, sometimes you can only run so much before you want to be doing something else. So I find cross training does help in that aspect. Uh, definitely going to be more organized. Uh, test my equipment a lot more. Like I said, I've had way more practice running with my headlamp now. So again, hopefully it uh, goes a lot better. And plus, I also have a good idea of the course now. So I'm more mentally prepared for what the course entails. Yeah, that's that's going to be a, a big help, I think, for you this time around, for sure. Um, so what, what kind of uh, headlamp are you rocking now? Uh, it's, a, it's a Petzl brand. I forgot the exact model on it, but uh, it's... It should be it should last me at least five hours on the battery, so I have a spare battery for that, plus uh, another small, I think, Solomon backup headlamp as well. Okay, and then I wouldn't even have considered taking a backup, but I guess that's a pretty smart strategy. Yeah, yeah. Again, you never know when your equipment's gonna fail on you, or if you just need it for an extra little bit. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, strategies that you employ when your when your brain starts to kind of where that, that voice inside your head starts to get louder, you know, trying to tell you to quit and that you should stop. This is a stupid idea. What do you do to stay positive while you're out there? Uh, a good strategy actually was told me by uh, one of the runners in my first race uh, in the Gobi Desert is, you know, try to take it one kilometer at a time. And every kilometer, just think about somebody different that's out there supporting you. Or, you know, somebody else that has done something awesome or has been through a hard time and has made it through that hard time. So you can start thinking about, you know, all these amazing people in your life as well that are probably 
they're rooting for you. And again, that maybe again gone through something either similar or even harder or, you know, something challenging like that. And it kind of helps you take your mind off the race and think about all the amazing people you have in your life. So it kind of gets you back into a good place again and kind of gets you back into that positive mindset because a positive mindset can take you very, very far in these races. Yeah. You know what? I think that is fantastic advice. And, um, with that, you mentioned it, I find that, uh, that's something I've done too, kind of almost, uh, with my subconscious and the name that comes to mind when I kind of go there with my head is Terry Fox. Mm. And it's such a huge inspiration. I know September is coming up. So the Terry Fox one is virtual this year. I just got a letter in the mail on it today, but, uh, yeah, when you're out there and you're suffering, you think of Terry Fox at such a young age being diagnosed with cancer and having a prosthetic leg and then attempting to run across our country and running, you know, a marathon a day Yeah, on, on a prosthetic leg. And this is back in the day when the technology for those things wasn't like what you have today. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that, that, that is great advice, Eric, when you're suffering like that, just to think of something else that inspires you unless you know, you know what, it could be worse. It's not that bad. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And again, most of us, again, do have a great support network and there are people cheering for us, whether, you know, they might be sleeping at that point, but, you know, as soon as they wake up, they're going to log on online to check progress and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, Eric, do you have any other advice or or tips for runners that might be new to ultra running or for those out out there that are thinking about trying an ultra for the first time? You know what I would say, you know, do a lot of research because there are just so many races, races out there. So if you can find one that's either, you know, meaningful to you or maybe somewhere local, because, you know, I find if you can find a race that's kind of, you know, can be near and dear to your heart, that kind of also makes it a little bit more special, especially for, for your first race. So if it has a bit of meaning behind the race, if it's supporting of a cause you like, something, anything like that. Um, if you can do it with a friend, that's even all the more better. Either if you're going to be racing with them on race day, or even if you can just be, you know, sharing your training with them. Because I find that always been a great help. Being like, yo, I got my 20k, and have you? And if you're like, nope, I haven't. You know, I better get out there because you know, then you're also being held kind of accountable to somebody, somebody else. But uh, the big thing is, if you can get out there and just remember, it's something fun, stay in a positive mindset, and you know, you will enjoy it. But uh, also maybe as you're um, researching races, like I said, there's so many races out there. Uh, as, for your first one, it's kind of a little more advantageous. You can find a more, let's say, well-established race because um, the organization on these races is also pretty key. You want a race that's maybe been around for a couple of years, so they've kind of fine-tuned their race. You know, they know, you know it's going to be well-marked throughout. You know it's, there's going to be well-supplied aid stations for you, and you know the organization is going to help everything run smoothly because you're going to have enough on your plate just trying to get to the finish line. So if they can take care of a lot of like logistics, make sure there's nothing going on with logistics, then makes just things easier and more enjoyable for you. That is great advice, Eric. Thank you so much. Um, For those who are listening, who may have questions for you beyond what we've covered in the show. um, Do you have any contact information or, or any social media accounts that people could follow you on or get in touch with you on? Uh, I use mostly, uh, I'm a little bit older, I know Facebook isn't the most hip or popular anymore, but Facebook is, is mostly my go-to, so it's just Eric, E-R-I-K, and you can search Kovesi, K-O-V-E-S-S-Y, and I'd be more than happy if you reach out to me, if you had any questions, I'm always more than happy to help out. That's awesome, Eric, and listen, I want to wish you the best of luck for your 100 miler, I'm sure I'll see you before the race, 
But if I don't, man, go out there and run wild. I'll try my best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Trail Tales ARP. If you like our show, please help us out by subscribing to our show so you don't miss any new episodes. Also, by leaving us a review. And please visit trailtalesarp.com where you can get even more content. You can also follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP on Facebook at trail tales ARP. See you next week.